You know, when I watch that, I wonder how many people does that portray? You know, I think, and it's just an opinion, but I think that what was portrayed in that video is a great portrayal of the American life. That's kind of what we do as Americans. We look great on top. On top, I, I, I know who I am, I know where I'm going, I know what I'm doing, I'm successful, I got answers, got a little religion when that's necessary. Everything is good. But, but down deep, a place we try to avoid. You know, that's why we always keep the radio turned up. That's why we always have the TV on. That's, that's why we've always got to be very, very busy, because it helps me ignore what's going on down deep. It helps me deny what's going on down there because down there somewhere in a real moment of silence, I get caught and I realize, man, I do have some questions. I've got unanswered questions. I've got guilt. I've got fear. But, but I'm okay. I, everything's fine. Folks, that's insanity. To live like everything is all right, to live like everything is okay when it's not, that's insanity. And yet that's the way we so often try to portray ourselves every day as we're busy and running around. I'm okay. Everything's all right. And the amazing thing, while that video portrayed very, very real issues, very significant issues that people deal with, he didn't even touch on the biggest reality of life. He didn't mention one thing about the great certainty of life. His death. His death. You know, you're probably not going to die tomorrow. Probably. Probably not even going to die somewhere before this year's over. As a matter of fact, I, I would assume, I would imagine the odds are most of us in here are going to live probably many years to come. But whether you live one day or 50 more years, do you realize there's only one certain thing? And oh, there's lots of things to no, know. There's not. There's one certain thing in your life. You're going to die. Are we, are we living in light of that great certainty, that great reality? And, and when I ask that question, you realize death's not really the big issue. It's the other side of the coin. It's what goes with that. The, the Bible explains it this way in Hebrews 9.27. It says, it has been appointed unto people... You and me, it's been appointed to us to die once and then face the judgment. Folks, every person in this room, every person that's ever lived has a great appointment. There is no second most important appointment in your life. There's nothing that even comes in the realm of being compared to this. One great appointment that determines where you spend all of eternity. Gosh, it seems like in something that big, you know, it, it'd be a part of your mind, your thoughts, your actions, day in and day out. I have a daughter, Amy, who had an appointment yesterday with an SAT. We signed up for that this past summer. We, we paid money to, to have her take a class and, and get tutored. We, we've talked about it. She studied. She's prepared for that appointment. And my sons this Wednesday have an appointment with the uh, Chesterfield County Cross Country Championship. We have talked about this day since June. 
We've been preparing for it, getting ready for it. That's been a focus, a goal. Now, folks, if those kinds of appointments can impact what we talk about, what we think about, what we spend money on, what we're working on, if those kinds of appointments can have that kind of impact, then how in the world cannot this great appointment be a part of every day? I mean, mean, think about it. How many... How many people did you see this past week that from your perception, what you could tell made any kind of decision at all based on this a great appointment? How many people could watch you and see that you were making decisions in light of this great appointment coming in your life? Now, I know why we deny this. I know why we ignore it, why we don't want to look at it. Folks, the bottom line is we're scared. We're scared of it. Kind of like that feeling. Remember going to take a test? You hadn't studied? Going to take a test and you studied, but you didn't get it. And you weren't going to get it. And you're going into this test and you know there's nothing possibly that's going to happen good in this moment. And there's just kind of that sick feeling this whole time. That's fear. I'm going to an appointment. I know it's not going to be good. Yeah, that's the kind of fear that man has. Well, how do you know everybody's afraid? One proof. There's one proof of mankind's fear of this appointment. And by the way, when I say mankind, every person. I don't care what science and evolution and the great atheistic philosophies try to convince us about. Listen to me. Every soul knows there's a God. Down in there, they know there's a God. They know there's an accounting to Him. And they know they're not ready. And it makes us afraid. And so we invented something. All of mankind, we invented something. It's called religion. Religion is man's invention to try to get ready for this appointment. Now, when I say religion, and you you may think I'm biased or doing this unfairly, but I am going to separate Christianity out from religion. I'm going to say it's different. And, And probably the primary difference is religion is man's way of trying to get cleaned up and get to God. The things I need to do to get ready for this appointment. So religion really is man centered moving toward God. Christianity. From Genesis to Revelation is a picture not of how man got up and achieved godness. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of God coming to man. Huge difference. Now, I will say this. Probably more so true in America than anywhere else. I think there are people who have picked up Christianity and used it just like a religion. They've used it to, well, here, I'll pick this way. To try to clean myself up. And it's worthless. If you use Christianity as a religion. It'll leave you just as empty as the others. But but what religion does. Is it tells me how to get ready. And you know you've heard the expression. All religions are the same. I mean they do tell us some of the same things. Don't they? I mean say on the way to the appointment. Probably a good idea not to kill anybody. Most of them are going to tell you that. On the way to the appointment. You probably shouldn't steal anything. You know on your way to the appointment. It's probably a good idea to. You know do some. Some loving things, some some good things, some kind things. Say you're sorry. Share with others. Learn something about that God and and, and whatever rules he might have. And so all religions will will say some of these kinds of things. Now, all religions also have their uniquenesses. 
things that are just kind of true of them. Like, like there's a religion that says, now, if you really want to please God, man, if you really want that appointment to go well, you need to walk across hot coals. Glad to not be a part of that religion. You know, then there, there'll be another religion say, oh, no, we know about this one. It made us quite afraid in America. Because there's another religion that says, if you really want to please God, you'll go on a jihad, a holy war. And of course, we know no, the religions say, no, you, you give to the poor. And then there's another way, another religion. Matter of fact, this is the way we use Christianity sometimes as a religion. We say, you know, if you want to go to heaven, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to go to church every Sunday. My gosh, if you can endure that, you deserve to go to heaven. So all these religions have some similar ways they to tell us to prepare for this appointment. They have some uniquenesses. But you know what? All these religions, they all lack something. They all lack one thing. They lack security. Because whatever I'm doing on the way to this appointment, whatever that religion has told me to do, they never really tell you, how do you know if you've done enough? When, when do I know I'm prepared for the appointment? When do I know, when can I be certain this is going to go well, it's going to be good? Or, or what if, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But I start looking around and I say, man, she, she's doing better than I am. Boy, he's doing a lot more than I'm doing. Man, there's a whole group over there that's better than me. Is this thing graded on a curve? I mean, is there a certain number of people and then it stops? How do you know? Or what if, regardless of how you compare yourself to others, you're doing the best you can, but you're still struggling with this one thing. They're still wrong in you. You're doing some awfully good things, but there's still, there's still some bad things there. How do you know? How do you not struggle with, with insecurity? Man, I, I, I'm more bothered and upset and scared now than before I started the whole religious thing. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's what we as a people do. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to live a single day of my life in light of death. I'm not going to make a single decision in light of a day of standing before God. I'm just going to ignore the entire thing. Some go a step further and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to deny God. I, I, I don't believe there's a God. I, I don't believe there's an afterlife. And I know that. I know that because I haven't seen it or touched it. Oh, well, that makes sense. Have you ever thought about who can deny there's a God? Only one person. Only one person can say there's no God. God. Because you have to be all-knowing. I've got to know everything in time and space to say no God exists out there. <laughs> Who can say that but God? And a bunch of, well, the Bible calls them fools. Who run around on the planet because they're so afraid of that moment, they're just going to deny the whole thing altogether. Now, folks, God doesn't tell us about death and he doesn't tell us about this appointment to, to, to have us scared to death, to have us walking around trembling. Matter of fact, one of the great commands of the Bible is fear the Lord. But that fear of the Lord is not a trembling. I'm scared like a horror movie scared. That fear of the Lord is you know what fear of the Lord is. Here's a simple definition. There is a God. There is a day of accounting. You know what? I'm not going to lie right here. The fear of the Lord, the reality of that day, the reality of that counting affects the decision I make right here to not sin. That's a simple definition of the fear of the Lord. 
But God doesn't want us walking around trembling and scared. God actually wants us to be prepared. He wants this to be not a day of, of judgment and wrath. He wants it to be a day of reward. And so instead of sending us a bunch of rules to see if we could clean ourselves up before we get there, he came to us. And he tells us how to prepare for this day. And you know, the first thing he says, and it, it can, it, it, this covers a lot of things. He says, number one, don't trust in yourself. That, by the way, is the number one thing you trust in. I, I, I trust in my ability to determine right and wrong. I trust in my ability to decide who God is and what religion represents him. And I'll decide, I'll decide what God accepts. I'll decide what, what pleases him. I'll decide what obligates him so that he owes me heaven. I come to an individual moment. Well, I'll decide if I want to lie here or not. Everything we're trusting in ourselves. The Bible says, don't trust in yourselves. Because you and your resume are not going to get you into heaven. Romans 3.23. Not Randy Hahn. Not Colonial Heights Baptist. Not a denomination. The Bible, God's word says, for all, every one of us in here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You want to go to heaven? Is all is to it. You have to be just like God. Not kind of like him, not a lot of, you know, most days you have to be just like God. And that verse clearly says what I think most of us know. We fall short of that, don't we? We miss that mark. We miss that target of being just like God. Now, you know, we know that, but here, here's what happens. We go to heaven and we're kind of counting on when we get to that appointment, we're kind of counting on God not caring, aren't we? You know, he, he's, he's told us to be like him. He's told us this is who heaven is for and, and this is what it takes. But when we get there, you know, what I'm counting on God doing is just not caring about all the imperfections in my life, all those places I missed it. I'm counting on him not caring because, uh, well, because that's what a loving God would do. So now that right there, that's what I'm counting on for all of my eternity, that love absolutely does not care about wrong. Now, if that's what I'm counting on, is that, a, is that a good definition of love? Where did that definition come from? I mean, everything in my eternity is staked on this. When I get there, God's not going to care because he's loving. Now, folks, love might forgive. But is it safe to say that love doesn't care about wrong? You know, something that's important to every one of us at home, at work, in school, in every relationship fairness. Would you say that love is fair? Well, folks, if love is fair, that means love makes wrongs right. Fairness often demands consequences. Fairness says this has to be corrected. It's not going to be ignored. See, love does what is right. Love never stands back and watches somebody be destructive to themselves or watches somebody be destructive to others and they do nothing in the name of love. No, folks, love demands righteousness. That's what love does. Even when it forgives. And if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, when we go to that great day of accounting, we're not going there thinking, well, you know, I, I know I've got a few imperfections. I know I've got a few places I missed it. Man, folks, it's a lot bigger issue than a few imperfections, isn't it? 
This is not a matter of I just tripped once, so now I don't get into heaven. Folks, every person in this room, starting with this one right here, has rebelled against God. You knew God, you knew his way, and you said no. No, God, I reject you, and I reject your way. I never said anything like that. Folks, every time we sin, that's what we're saying. I reject you, and I reject your way. That's not a little deal. And yet we do that. And we live each day as if there's no consequences for this, even though God's word says the exact opposite. The Bible says that the wages, the wages, the payment, the consequence, the result of sin. Well, which sin, the big ones or the little ones? The Bible doesn't differentiate. The result of sins, the big ones, the little ones, the few ones, the many ones, the result of sin is death. And that death there is not about a funeral in a casket. That death there is about spiritual separation from God. It's what the Bible refers to as hell. And folks, the Bible does not refer to hell as, as an idea or, or a concept or just something that's kind of the opposite of enjoying heaven. The Bible talks about hell from beginning to end as a very real, as a very literal place that has an uncompared suffering. You've heard the phrase, hell on earth, there is no such thing. There is nothing on this planet in all of history that in any way, shape or form compares to what hell is like. Hell brings a whole new level of suffering and evil and loneliness and emptiness like this planet has never known. And do you know who talks about hell more than anybody in all the Bible? Jesus. Jesus, over and over, talking about it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, does God scare this? Tell us about this so we get scared and, and now I'm going to go out. And I'm going to work even harder. Man, I need to make sure I pick the right religion and really get this right because I don't want to go to that place. No, folks, you can't fix your problem. You can't clean up enough. You know, that's exactly what religion teaches as a matter of fact, I think there's some places you can go under the umbrella of Christianity and sit in that service, sit in that teaching and get the idea, if you'll just go home and do these things, God will be happy and pleased and you can get into heaven. But over and over and over, the message of Scripture is, that's not going to do it. Titus 3.5, just one of many verses. It says, He saved us, look at this, not, it is not by works of righteousness that we had done. My efforts and my works are not going to get me there. It's not going to accomplish it. Now, I think sometimes we, we hear that teaching and we just kind of picture God as up in heaven with his arms folded. And he's just, he's grouchy, he's stubborn. And he's just saying, well, I, I, I don't care what y'all try to do. I'm just not letting you in anyway. No, folks, you and I and about every human on this planet are living again under this very faulty concept that if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm owed heaven. That's basically what religion teaches. If you Just get your good up above your bad. If you can go to that appointment 51 to 49 in the favor of the good, you're good to go. But is that true? Where does that concept work? You know, if I were to win, let's say two years in a row, the citizen of the year in Virginia... 
I, I don't know if we have a citizen of the year in Virginia, but if we did, I'm confident I should be it. <laughs> Who makes Virginia better than me? And so I should get an award for this. Where's Kirk? Could you put something in about that? And could I be, do we have one? We do? Put me in, okay. And so I've got citizen of the year. I got one for both hands. Big plaque, I would assume. Don't you think for citizen of the year? Big plaque I walk around with. I am the best person in Virginia. The whole state's better because of me. And I get my second plaque, and, and I walk off the platform, because I'll, I'll be high up where everybody can see me getting my award. And, and when I walk off, I see somebody I really don't like. I pull out a gun, and I shoot them. Now, when I go before the judge, I'm taking my plaques. And he says, you're going to prison. No, I'm not going. Look, one bad act, but I got two plaques. I, I, I'm 100% more. Do those two plaques... Remove the consequences of murdering somebody? Well, that's a dumb illustration because you use such an extreme. Okay, I'll try this. I'll take my two plaques. I'll keep them constantly there in the front seat with me. And the next time I get stopped for going 70 and a 45, when the officer walks up, I'll say, did you see my two plaques? Only one, only one time was I caught speeding. I'm guessing he could care less about my two plaques. I'm guessing if I carry those to the judge and say, I really should be let off this ticket because I... Folks, are you getting the point? It's kind of stupid if you stop and think about it in that way. It's stupid that isn't you stop and say, wait a minute. Why are six billion people walking around on the planet with that exact concept? That I'm going to go stand before God and I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope that I've done enough and my good outweighs my bad. Folks, your good doesn't outweigh your bad. Your good doesn't remove your bad. But did you notice in that verse, it said he saved us. Folks, God's desire, his passion for you is not hell. God's not up there in a, in a spirit of excitement and passion just waiting for the day he gets to zap you and throw you into hell because that's what he's wanted all along. No, folks, God wants to rescue you from that. So here's the question. How does God lovingly forgive but also at the same time be lovingly just and fair and right? He sent a substitute. He sent somebody to stand in the place of the punishment you deserved. It can't be one of us. I can't stand in your place. I got as much sin as you've got. That's just one person with a mess dying for another person with a mess. No, it had to be somebody who wasn't owed the punishment. He sent a son. First Peter 3.18 says, Christ has once suffered for all. This is true for everybody. The righteous, the one who had no sin, the one who was perfect, he came and he died for all the unrighteous. Look at this phrase, folks. One of the most significant phrases in the Bible. That he might bring you to God. Your resume is not going to take you to God. The right denomination is not going to take you to God. The, the, the right pastor is not going to take you to God. Or my favorite, my uncle's a pastor. That one's not going to take you to God. Folks, listen to what people are counting on. They're counting on, they're trusting in the wrong thing to carry them to God. It is Jesus alone who carries us to God. This is said again in Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous, we have been declared in right standing with God. We have been declared to be like God. How? By faith. By faith in my resume? By faith in my church membership? By faith in my, my religious ceremonies? No. By your faith in Jesus. Look at that. Through. There it is again. Through our Lord Jesus. 
I've got to transfer my faith from self, from sin and the world. I've got to transfer that to Jesus Christ. And look what happens. We have peace with God. Remember, that's what we're looking for. Remember all the religions of the world? No security. You never know if you're okay with God. You never know if you've done enough. That's not God's desire. He wants you to be absolutely at peace. He wants you to know you're set for the appointment. He wants you to know this is going to be a good day. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you come to a place in your life, folks, where you have turned from sin and self and the world and you've turned and by faith put your confidence in Jesus Christ? Now, let me tell you what the answer to that question is not. The answer is not, oh, yeah, I've, I've, always, I've always grown up in church. That's not what I asked, and that's not the answer. Well, yeah, I was, I was uh, baptized. My parents had me baptized, or I, I did that when I joined the church. It's not what I asked. Well, yeah, I believe, I believe in, the, in the Bible, and I, I, I believe in, in Christ. I didn't ask that. I asked, have you definitively, we're talking about eternity here. This is not something you want to miss. You want to kind of, I think so. I, I, you know, may, maybe did that do it? Did that have you definitively come to a place where I realized, hey, faith in me isn't going to work. I need to transfer my confidence and my faith and place it in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm counting on him and him alone to carry me into that appointment and make it everything it can be for good and for reward. Have you done that in your life? Let me show you a picture of this happening in the Bible. I'm reading out of Acts chapter 8. It says, so Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with the scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, folks, the baptism didn't save that man. No, the moment we place our faith and trust in Christ, the moment we turn from self and place it in Christ, at that moment, we become a child of God. John chapter one, verse 12. At that moment, we're forgiven of all of our sins. Of, at that moment, eternal life in heaven becomes our future. But you need to understand, Jesus did not invite you. He did not call you to just make a decision. Okay, I've made a decision. It's over. No, Jesus called you to come follow him. And so I begin that following in that decision to place my confidence in Christ. And then what scripture says is then that first step of following him is into the waters of baptism. Can't happen as an infant. It's not a part of joining a church. It's the beginning of me realizing it's not trust in myself. It's trust in Christ. And now the following begins in the waters of baptism. The place where Jesus went. Jesus was baptized. Not to be saved. He was never lost. Not to show he'd been forgiven of sins. He had no sin. No, Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3 to create a place to create a way where you and I could begin to follow him. Where we could begin to do what he did. Where we could begin to identify. That's one of the meanings of the word. It means to immerse, to go under the water. And it means to identify with. Identity is important, isn't it? I, mean, I, I put this shirt on. Everybody in here knows I got something to do with A&M. 
Somebody asked me, did you just put that on because they won last night? No, this goes all the way to the bone. My wife graduated from there. I graduated from there. We have between us six siblings that graduated from there. A&M. All the way to the bone. This identifies me. Folks, that's what baptism does. It says, I belong to Jesus Christ. I am following him. And baptism is where that starts. Have you made that decision? You know what? Some of you are sitting here right now and you're uncomfortable inside. You know why? Because you're having one of those still moments that a lot of times humanity teaches us to ignore. And it's God saying to you, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Will you come put your faith in my son? Will you step into those waters of baptism and say, right here, right now. No more excuses, no more running away. Folks, the day of appointment is coming. It might be tomorrow and it might not be for 50 years, but that day is coming and you should live every day of your life in light of it. But you can't do anything in light of that day until you've made the first step to put faith in Christ. Folks, we want to give people that opportunity today to come to Christ to be baptized. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to have everybody stand. Not because you're going to be baptized. <laughs> Don't get nervous. Everybody sings. We're going to begin a time of worship. We sing when we come to church, right? But I want to tell you something. We're going to give people an opportunity to be baptized. Now, there are some people in here right now. You've already come forward and you're scheduled to be baptized. Today is the day you said, I'm going to be baptized. If that's you, you're already here. You go ahead. You don't even have to come down here and talk to anybody. Just go on out that door or come on out and go down that door. And there's people there ready to greet you and help you to start getting ready for baptism. As a matter of fact, I know we have a good number of people uh, that are going to be doing that. But now there's another group of people in this room right now. You, you hadn't come down. You're not scheduled for anything. But you know what? God is calling you and he's calling you right now. He wants you to be prepared for him. And he's calling you. What's your answer? There's only two ways. Yes or no. Will you say yes today? Now, right now, there's all kinds of reasons why today is not the day to say yes. Today is not to follow the biblical example and say, why not right here? Why not right now? You're thinking, man, if, if, if I do that, what are, what are people going to say? Well, what are people going to think? Let me tell you something. That's not what God's whispering in your ear. That's insanity. That's insanity. Well, I, I, I'm standing right in the middle of the road. There's all these people. Ever said, Let me tell you something. If you tapped one of them on the shoulder and said, I need to go down, that is a road that the most joyful thing they would do today would be to slide out of the way so that you could come forward. Now, I know the big reason you're thinking I can't do this. I, 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 can't get, I can't get baptized in this. I don't have anything to dry off. I don't have anything to put on. Guess what? We believed you were coming today. And we're ready. We've got everything you need back there to change clothes. I'm talking right down to the stuff I won't say out loud. And I'm not talking about used stuff. I'm talking about brand new. Brand new. Never been worn before. We've got everything you need. Here's the promise I make. If you come forward today, you will leave this room the same way you entered it, dry. We've got everything you need. So here's what's going to happen. As Dale begins to lead us in worship and singing, I just want you to get up. People are already doing it. Praise God. And just come down and just start making your way out those doors. And behind those doors are people who will answer your questions if you've got some questions first. Who will talk to you about this decision. Then they'll help you get ready and prepared to be baptized. Folks, listen to God. 
Right here, right now. Come on. Say yes. That's all the voice of God is saying right now. What's your answer? You know, I don't, uh, I, I don't know the number. We've baptized over 50 people in the two services this morning. Um, we, we still have a third service. You'll be praying for them at 5 o'clock, won't you? And what God can do in that service. Let's have a, a quick word of prayer, can we? Father, I just come before you for each of these individuals. And I just pray for a clarity of understanding in what they've just been through. God, I pray that as they've taken this easiest step of, of faith and following a new believer's baptism, that you'll now empower them and strengthen them, that your presence will always be with them as they now begin the journey and the task of following you in everything you did, in their relationships, in their conversations, in their work, in their values and priorities, God, in every one of these places. May they clearly be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for all of us in this room who have made that decision at some time in our past and we followed you in believer's baptism. God, may we remember that day we walked through those waters. May we remember the step of faith and the commitment we took. And may we afresh leave this room today, God, to go into this world, to live clearly, profoundly as a follower of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that what has happened here today will change our community. That's a lot of homes that are affected. That's a lot of schools and workplaces. And God, with all of us together, with your power flowing through us, we should have an impact on our community and our world for the person of Jesus Christ. To his glory and to his honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.